I was at home in Ohio and I was sitting on the couch with my mom. We were drinking some wine and she said to me, she goes, how does it feel to be five years out of your cancer diagnosis? And I looked at her and I told her, I said, I never thought I'd see it. And she just broke down in that moment. She was like, what do you mean? And I'm like, mom, like the odds were not in my favor that I was going to make it to five years. Welcome to the Live Your Fuck Yes Life podcast, your place for all things health, wellness, self-care, and real talk. I'm Amanda Catherine Loy, health coach, actor, and badass extraordinaire. Each week, I'll bring you a guest or a thought with some serious real talk to help you find your passion, speak your truth, and get you one step closer to living your fuck yes life. Are you ready? Here we go. Hey, hey, you guys, welcome to episode 71 of the podcast. Today is incredibly important for me and for overall awareness of maybe you, your life, if you are a female identified human or somebody in your family who is navigating this. Um, we are in October as this is coming out and October is Breast Cancer Awareness Month. And while I love that there is a month dedicated to really promoting the shit out of making sure that we are putting stuff to find a cure and supporting organizations that genuinely support um, breast cancer awareness and research, there is so much work to do and it's really less about awareness and more about action. And I really wanted to bring on to the podcast, um, because I've never actually done this. Um, somebody who has navigated breast cancer is a light in the community and really doing incredible work with the work that they're doing and also just the awareness that they're bringing to the cause. Um, and I couldn't think of a better person to bring on the podcast than Dana, who is the founder of Anna Ono Intimates and somebody that I have been blessed to personally get to know in, in person, um, and online this last year, um, as I've deeply gotten involved in the breast cancer movement and world and advocacy space. Um, our conversation is so fucking incredible. And I'm going to deep dive into that in just one hot second so we can get started. But before I do, this episode is brought to you by the Live Your Fuck Yes Life membership, my new online and affordable AF platform where you get badass mindset coaching from yours truly, support from guest experts about sex, relationships, self-care, mental health, and health, and a true community with daily conversations on how to handle this bumpy AF journey we call life. This is perfect for you if you put everyone and your mother before yourself, or maybe you want to feel less burnt out, but you have no fucking clue where to start, or maybe you're just tired of joining every free Facebook group in the land looking for support and never getting what you really need. The Live Your Fuck Yes Life membership is for you, sister. And as a podcast listener, you get 10% off your monthly subscription. So go to www.amandacatherineloy.com forward slash membership and type in code L-Y-F-Y-L. That's capital L-Y-F-Y-L. YL at checkout to snag 10% off. See you there. Okay. So as I mentioned, Dana is in fucking credible. Like I am just so grateful to have this woman in my life and to have this conversation shared with you guys. Um, she herself was diagnosed with breast cancer at 27 and it was a really aggressive form of breast cancer. And we talk about the specifics of that in um, today's episode. And I want you to go into today with an open heart and also with an awareness that what you're about to listen to could be really challenging, but it's really important. Um, 
we talk about things that are hard to talk about on this podcast or taboo or unsexy a lot of the time because there isn't enough awareness. And when we learn, we are able to show up in our lives with way more intention And this is a cause that is deeply important, um, not just to me, but it should also be deeply important to you. One in eight women, one in eight women are diagnosed with breast cancer. That is a staggering statistic. And she, she talks not only about statistics in this, but her personal journey, um, dealing with breast cancer and what that actually looks like. Um, this is not like as simple as you think. And it's something that I personally have been completely flabbergasted as I've learned about this, um, to have my own awareness, but whether this is for yourself or for a family member, or just to have more knowledge so that you can also be an advocate, um, in this space. And when people ask about it, or you have someone in your family or a friend who's navigating something like this, you can show up for them. Um, it's so huge. Um, and not only that, but we talk a lot to about what it's like to live like you're dying, um, what it's like to navigate, um, you know, find the light on the other side of trauma, which is a big thing that I talk about and will be dive, deep diving into intensely in my with my book. And also um, her love of fashion and design and how she's really fused her um, – her personal story of being diagnosed with breast cancer and her background in fashion design um, into a career with her incredible company, Ana Ono, um, which is all for, you know, um, really creating sustainably beautiful bras and other um, incredible garments um, and and products that um, support women who are going through reconstruction or just, you know, any female identified human or even other humans um, who really, really love this. Beyond that, her story has been featured on USA Today, the Today Show, HuffPost, New York Times, InStyle. She is freaking amazing and is um, truly an advocate in the space for breast cancer um, and is spreading her mission of beauty, confidence, and empowerment. Empowerment, and I just love her so much, and I can't wait for you to fall in love with her. So, without further ado, here we go. I've been really wanting to talk to you for the longest time, and I feel like it's perfect. Is the perfect time frame just because Breast Cancer Awareness Month is, is upon us, and I really want to. I know it's like October is always like such a high Shit end. Check. Yeah, it's a <laughs> lot. It's a lot. Um, and yeah, like let's just let's just get into that because I honestly like I just want to. I want to dive into all of this with you specifically because I have, I mean, I have been connected with so many women in this community um, because of, you know, my BRCA stuff, but it is rare to find somebody who I feel like had a story that could have been mine, like Mm -hmm. so deeply, like as I found out that I had BRCA when I was 27 and like your story is so similar, but just that you had cancer. And so obviously very different in that sense, but you've done so much from that experience and like taken it as, as something to really live for and to thrive with. And I think so many women struggle with that piece. Um, and, and I've heard so many stories of that space and I just think that your story has been so incredible. And I was, I was going to start with some fun questions, but I honestly just want to dive in into your story because I think it's so important to talk about and, and the awareness that you put out about breast cancer and about the different types of breast cancer and how it can show up so differently in women is huge. And so I would just love to hear like your version of your story, um, and, and how you kind of gotten to where you are today. Yeah. I mean, you know, I think that it's very interesting because for me right now, 
I'm trying to like almost find a new starting place for my story because Mm. I think now surviving breast cancer for almost 10 years, which is like feels surreal that that even comes out of my mouth is um, changing so much about myself and the way I view things because I've been through a roller coaster of time and a roller coaster of a cancer diagnosis for not just a snippet, but for practically 10 years. And getting diagnosed at 27 years old um, and like at a very pivotal time of my life where my career was on the climb, I was engaged, Mm. we were planning a wedding. It was just like, we, you know, we moved into our first home. I had mm-hmm. my own car. Like so many things were happening at 27, right? Like life was happening at 27. Mm-hmm. And then to just like throw on like all the breaks because I got diagnosed with like a freaky breast cancer diagnosis when I had no strong family history or literally any concern on the radar that like breast cancer could happen to mm-hmm. me. So it was just like a shock in that moment. And it really changed like the entire trajectory of my life, you know, and, and what I set out to do and the person that I've become mm-hmm. and things that I believe in. And like all of that was changed, like in that one moment of getting a cancer diagnosis. And I feel like now, you know, looking back on these 10 years, like, first of all, I don't know where half of them have gone. Um, <laughs> Not it's how it been- always works. You're like, fuck, where did my, I can't like, it's like September. I feel like yesterday it was, it was September 20, whatever, 2018. Now we're like 2019. It's like almost 2020. What's happening? It's yeah. so crazy. Yeah. And I think that like, you know, I mean, I, I think a lot of it disappeared because so much of it was like in a state of stress, you know, and mm. so much of my life has been living in a state of stress that now is like the first time since my diagnosis that I've been able to kind of look forward and look mm. to the future. And that's a rough place to live in for 10 years. Yeah. And, um, and I think that just, you know, getting diagnosed in 2010 at the age of 27, things were so different than mm-hmm. what they are today. You know, we didn't have social media, like your mm-hmm. Facebook friends were legit. Your Facebook friends. Yeah. Like, yeah. There were people friends. you knew in life. Yeah. <laughs> They were people that you knew in life. Like you were annoyed of your friends that were like having babies and posting their babies everywhere. Like, and you were still annoyed like, (laughs) yeah, but like you weren't like FOMOing, you know, like you were, there was no FOMO in 2010. You were like, oh my God, like here's my friend's birthday party. I wish I could have been there, but like looks awesome that I could see it. Cause like five years ago, I couldn't have seen anything. And like, all it was is like a phone call to get caught up on how awesome their birthday party was. But now like fast forward, it's like everything, every detail, every moment, every challenge can get expressed online. And I feel like that's a a beautiful thing because in 2010 at 27, I was incredibly isolated and I 100% felt alone. I'd never met another young woman with breast cancer. I was facing the disease on my own. My friends and families weren't affected. It was just a really, really rough place. And I and I'm excited to see the the movement that we've all made, you know, in, in this space to help others and build a community and build support and encourage people and provide empowerment that it's just been, um, it's been quite a roller coaster and there's not really any other way to say it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I can only begin to imagine and I've obviously heard so many stories, but it's one thing to hear and it's another thing to live it. So I'm curious, like if you are, 
obviously you're 10 years out of this diagnosis and like, first of all, congratulations, because that's a huge, huge thing to celebrate. Um, but second of all, like that, you know, you're saying like, you want to almost figure out like where to start your story now. Like, what is that? Where's like current Dana looking? Like, what is that? What does that feel like for you? Well, I think what was really pivotal for me was, um, there were two pivotal moments. One was when I hit five years and I was at home in Ohio and I was sitting on the couch with my mom. We were drinking some wine and she said to me, she goes, how does it feel to be five years out of your cancer diagnosis? And I looked at her and I told her, I said, I never thought I'd see it. Mm. And she just broke down in that moment. She was like, what do you mean? And I'm like, mom, like, the odds were not in my favor that I was going to make it to five years. They weren't like, that was my cancer diagnosis. It was, um, the aggressiveness of my cancer. It was Mm -hmm. the stats of like what was happening and the likelihood of me making it to five years was a feat, right? It was a feat. But the fact of the matter was, was that I made it to five years, but I was still in treatment. And so the type of cancer I had, I was on hormonal suppressants for about eight and a half years following my cancer diagnosis. Yeah. Can I pause you for a second? Because I think this is a very, very common. And I know I personally had no concept before getting to know so many women who are navigating breast cancer um, that it's like, I always was like, you get it. And then you have chemotherapy and, or you have a mastectomy or whatever it is. And you like go into remission and you're good. Like I did not understand that there were all of these drugs that you had to go on and you had to completely change your life and that the potential for it to come back was so high. Can you explain a little bit about what like the, the percentages are of that and like what that looks like and, and why that was such, like such a fear of yours? Cause I know for me, I was like, wait, hold the fucking phone. Like, is this not like a one-time deal? You know? Right. I mean, yeah. I mean, I think that that's like the, the big, and I, that was my misconception as well. I was like, I thought cancer happened and then you were done with cancer. Yeah. And either it like kills you, you or you are alive. Yeah. Yeah. You were either dead or you were alive. Yeah. Period. Yeah. Um, and, and that's really what I thought for like the whole first year. I'm like, is surgery going to work? Is chemo going to work? Mm-hmm. Is this drug going to work? Like, when am I going to die? Like, is this just keeping me alive? Like, yeah. I, that's really what I thought. Yeah. But you know, every cancer is different and everybody has different, uh, stats and statistical data for how long you will live with your cancer. I mean, I think the reality is, is that breast cancer does not have a cure Yeah. period. Yeah. So when you are diagnosed with breast cancer, you are at risk for the rest of your lifetime yeah. of it coming back. Yeah. And the reality is, is that one in three people that are diagnosed with breast cancer will metastasize. And that's a huge huge statistical moment and often not spoken about because that's very scary. Can you explain what metastasizing means? Because to some people, they might not know what that, what that word is. Yeah. So um, the, the easiest way to explain a metastasis of a a breast cancer specifically is that it has, um, it has uh, separated itself from the host. So if the host is in the breast, it has now infiltrated other parts of the body. It has traveled through your lymphatic system, and it can land in your liver, your lungs, your brain, your blood, and your bones. Terrifying. And terrifying. And that's how we identify what stages we are at by how much did that cancer leave the host site. Mm. Now, 
Some people have metastatic breast cancer and they've never presented a lump in their breast. And, and that is also very complicated because yeah. these are cells, right? These are cells that go rogue in our body. So if that cell was rogue and it developed in the breast, but that already traveled to another organ, and that's when you got quote unquote sick, or you started to identify symptoms, it had already metastasized at that point, even though there was maybe not a lump or something detectable in your breast tissue. And so, so it gets very confusing, but the, the reality is, is that the cancer is, is not contained. It can only be treated. Whereas there's a lot of other cancers that can literally be, be killed. The cells can be killed and therefore you are cured. Mm. Breast cancer doesn't act like that. So, you know, it can uh, separate itself. It can leave the breast and it can go to other parts of your body. And that's when it has metastasized. And that's when your stage four, which is the highest staging, which is the terminal staging. And eventually the, the death rate comes from stage four Yeah, because stage four is the only breast cancer that kills. Yeah. You can get diagnosed early stage. You can get diagnosed stage zero, stage one, stage two, stage three. When you metastasize, you elevate to a stage four diagnosis. And you're saying that one in three women who get breast cancer will have a reoccurrence or, or get metastatic breast cancer. Right. They'll have, yeah. And so, and a reoccurrence can also be confusing because some people get two different types of breast cancer. Yeah. So sometimes if you keep a healthy breast, you can actually develop a different breast cancer in the healthy breast that you kept. Mm. Or if you've got a lumpectomy, you can develop another breast cancer in your mm. breast. So it's the, a reoccurrence uh, can be a second diagnosis, but it can also be a metastasized diagnosis. Right. And, yeah, and one in one in three women or one in three people metastasize in their lifetime. Mm. Um, it could be ten years out of diagnosis. It could be twenty years out of diagnosis. It could be thirty years out of diagnosis. Right, depending on how old you are. Um, but for me, with the statistics that I had and the way I tested and the type of breast cancer I had, uh, which was invasive ductal carcinoma, HER two positive, ER positive, the likelihood of my cancer coming back in a five-year span was very high. Hmm. And that came from multiple tests, Onca-type tests, meta met, um, metabolizing tests, all of these tests that they ran on hmm. me early on. And for her two specific, like the five-year is kind of your trophy year. You're like, yeah. if you made it to five years, the drugs likely worked for you. Hmm. Um, and, and that's kind of the forward-moving phase. But since I was also... ER positive, and I was a young woman with the statistics that I had, I was also due to stay on hormone suppressants in order to hopefully elongate any opportunity for the cancer to metastasize in my body. Yeah. Wow. So you went through chemotherapy, yes? Yes. And did you, you also did, do you do a full double mastectomy or did you go through that process? Like what, what was your timeline with all of that? Yeah, so I was I was diagnosed and my cancer was very aggressive. It was more than doubling in size every test I took. So it was very scary. And my doctors were incredibly uh, on board with me and trying to get me the best care. One of my surgeons actually uh, postponed his vacation day for a day just to get me into the surgery room. That's awesome. And um, and yeah, I, I, I had to remove, for the most part, my... Um, diseased breast because of the risk factor of, of me keeping it and doing a lumpectomy. But uh, I also chose to preventatively move my healthy breast because, you know, in a cycle like that, like 
as a breast cancer patient, I would have had a mammogram every six months, mm-hmm. a chest MRI every six months. And mm-hmm. in my diagnosis, what my healthy breasts actually flared a spot that led me to a needle biopsy that led me to receiving the note that it wasn't cancerous. Mm. But I thought to myself, if this is my life every six months, yep. I would go crazy. Yeah, I would literally go crazy. The stress to wait for a test result and an appointment, you know, you've got 30 days leading up to the appointment. Then you've got two weeks after the appointment. Then you have a biopsy. It's like two out of six months. I'm going to be stressed out of my mind, like with this constantly always there. So that was why I made the decision I made. But, um, the, you know, the chemotherapy, I did six rounds of that. And the chemotherapy is actually what almost took me out. I had a really bad reaction to it in the end and my platelets plummeted And I had to get several transfusions in the hospital following that. And that was probably the worst part of my entire treatment. But I I made it through and got stronger and got tougher. But um, I had to then spend a year on this drug called Herceptin. And then after that was when my hormonal therapy started. And you're on that hormonal therapy for how many years? Because I know a lot of women, it's like a 10-year protocol. Like what what was your protocol? Well, the the mind fuck about all of this is that like I was set up for this five year protocol and literally like weeks before my five years was over, they published a new study that for early stage women, premenopausal women with this type of cancer, that if they went for 10, they yielded better results. Right. And with that result, coupling that with an, an additional hormonal therapy, which is called Lupron, um, to really make sure that my ovaries were being suppressed. Um, and not generating any extra estrogen was mm. added to the protocol. So like, I didn't just stop after five years. I like doubled up. <laughs> so fun. I'm sure so that fun. was your favorite phone call to receive or to make. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I, I think I left that doctor's appointment crying because I was so frustrated because I thought I had the light at the end of the yeah. tunnel. And then I was like, wow, we just like literally pushed the whole light out. And now I've got another five years of this. Yeah. Um, and, and that was what was the toughest. Those that back end five years was really tough. And at year three and a half, I said, I can't do it anymore. Um, I had to like literally have a come to Jesus with myself to say, if my cancer comes back, it's not my fault. Mm. I did everything I could do. I followed doctor's orders. I'm working on getting healthy again. And which takes a lot of work when you've been on these hormone meds for yeah. so long. And I have to take my life back. Like, yeah. Because at what point am I just kicking the can down the road? And if I can't get out of bed in the morning, that's not really living to me. So, mm-hmm. um, so I, I just told my doctor, I said, I'm done. You know, I'm done now. And um, we wait and see what happens. Yeah. I First of all, I just want to thank you. I know that it's really like, I know you do this all the time because this is literally like the mission that you are, have on this earth to talk about. But I am I know how hard it is for me to even talk about like my BRCA stuff. I cannot mm-hmm. imagine... I'm like getting emotional, but I cannot even imagine what it's like to talk about and go back to like that time in your life, like all the time and re- and eventually, essentially like physically revisit it by talking about it. So I just want to honor you for sharing that message because I know it's probably so challenging for you, but it also makes such a difference for all the women who are hearing it, who go, oh, wait, like I didn't know this, or this is so helpful to like understand and be be able to be an advocate for myself. If I do have a family history of breast cancer, or maybe I I got diagnosed with breast cancer or whatever that is. Um, so I just want to honor you for that. And second of all, I want to ask a follow-up question, which 
is something that I personally like cannot even fathom. But like, I imagine that you've probably spent the last 10 years like waiting to die in a way. And like, what is that like? Like, what is that like at 27? Like, what is that? How do you even navigate life like that? You know what I mean? Like, that's just that's something that I think most people can't even consider, especially at a young age. Like, yeah, when you're in your 80s, like, of course, you're eventually waiting to die, you know, but it's like, that's something that I think we all fear so deeply and to face it so early on in life. Like, how has that been for you? Um, yeah, both very um, interesting questions. And, and thank you, because, you know, 10 years living with this is like, uh, like baggage, you know, like, it's definitely and it's only baggage that I carry, I really, really try not to put my baggage onto other people. Because for me, it's kind of not worth it um, for them to worry about what's happening in my mind. Mm. But at the same time, like, you know, when I started out saying, I'm trying to find my new starting place, because, you know, living with this disease for 10 years has shown me a world that I think most 70 year olds learn. Right. Mm. And I'm learning this in my thirties. And the fact of the matter is, is that yes, every morning I wake up, I think of my cancer every night I go to bed. I think of my cancer. I am appreciative that I get to put my feet on the ground and I'm appreciative that I get to close my eyes at night. Mm. Um, and the reason being is cause like obviously being in this community and doing as much work as I've set out to do, it's, um, I get to meet some of the coolest, sweetest, like inspiring people I've ever met in my life. Mm. And I also get to bury them. Yeah. And that's what's really hard is because the amounts of death I've seen in 10 years, not just from strangers, but from my friends, Mm -hmm. that's um, a really difficult head space to live in because in the beginning I had survivor's guilt, like way, way bad. Um, And I'm not going to say that that's totally gone because that's a really hard thing. Like, why do I keep making it? And they don't like what, why are we so different? And and why is this cancer so different like this? But in reality, you know, the only thing I've been able to do to get myself through that is knowing that for every amazing voice that we lose, like we have to get louder Mm -hmm. and I have to take their stories and their legacies and the things that they've taught me in my life and use that and share that because there will be a time when my voice isn't here anymore. And I hope that, you know, through the work in the community that I've inspired others to step out and talk about things and, you know, be an activist for this arena, because we have to be, we can't be sitting here dying at the same rate we've been dying for the last 20 years. It doesn't make any sense. Um, and I think that that's, you know, a, a huge reality because, um, now, you know, and, and I guess that's why I say I, I've been on this roller coaster because now I feel like I'm just kind of back on the ticking, like back up the climb. I don't know when I go back into a, like, you know, the loop-de-loop or like down yeah. the needle nose, um, slide because, you know, right now things are calm in my life and in most mm-hmm. of my friends' lives, but I know that that doesn't last forever. Yeah. And, um, and, and so the only way I can get through it is literally make every day count. And I have to say that that's hard. It's hard when you're in your thirties because most people think they're untouchable. Mm-hmm. Like most people aren't facing death every day of their life mm. or their own mortality every day of their life. Mm. And it makes me live a different way. It makes me surround myself with other people a different way. It makes me 
um, think about who I really live my life with in a different way. It's, um, I don't take anything for granted. You know, if, if you're toxic to my environment, you're out. Mm. Like I just don't have any space or any room for it. And I was never like that before. Like I was, you know, we all do this. I think we all like punish ourselves in some way. And Mm -hmm. I just choose not to anymore, but it's, it's hard because it messes with your friendships It messes with your family relationships. It messes, messes with your love life, Mm. you know, because I don't know. Like I, I do know that time is defined. It is not infinite. Yeah. And there is an only a certain amount of time I have here and I have to make the best out of it because it's the only time that matters. And you are like, you are like your voice has been hugely impactful for me and for so many people in the world, let alone the the breast cancer community. So can you talk a little bit about Anna Ono and like how that even came to be and like how you've started to make your mark and, and, and create a, a, like a, a global impact. Like it's really incredible what you've done and how you share your voice and how you've turned a very traumatic and hard experience into a light for so many. And I just like, I, I just want to celebrate the shit out of you. Cause I love it. And I'm like here for it on so many fronts. It helped me personally, like, yeah. and getting to know you. It's just like, yes, like you are, everything you speak is who you are. And so like, tell the world about Anna Ono, tell the world about how this came to be, because like, it is such a light and you are, you are a light. <laughs> well, I mean, that that's, uh, thank you. That's very sweet. And it's always hard for me to take, um, love like that. Receive the love. It. I appreciate it. I appreciate it. Um, you know, Ana Ono is interesting to me because, uh, you know, I, in, in the beginning, right. I didn't know what I was doing in the beginning. I didn't realize that this was going to be impacting or changing other women's lives. Like in, in the, in the beginning, I just thought like, this is what I know how to do. Like, I don't know how to do a whole lot except for to make clothing. And I, I happened to just do that really, really well. Did you go to school for clothing, um, like fashion design? I, I did. Yeah. 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 I was, uh, I went to Savannah college of art and design for fashion design. Mm. I was in New York city, had several jobs, ended up at a high fashion, um, house dressed celebrities. Like I've designed the magazine. <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, that was my life. Like, that's what I wanted. I wanted to be like a, you know, a fashion, uh, powerhouse, you yeah. know, I wanted to be Donna Karen, Diane von Furstenberg. Like, I mean, you I are a fashion be, powerhouse. <laughs> yeah. I wanted to be those badass bitches. I was like, I could do this. I could, so like, I, like heart and soul, I am a career woman. Mm. I love working. I'm a self-proclaimed workaholic. Mm. Um, uh, like th- that is who I am. Like Ana Ono didn't make that. That was already there. Mm. Um, and, and so it was really interesting because I just thought I would be selling bras on Etsy to like other women like myself. I just was like, oh, I'm just going to sew these bras. And, you know, maybe I sell like 10 or 20 bras a week. I'll be able to sew them on the weekends. I, that's really what I thought was going to happen. I, I never expected to kind of be where I'm at today. Um, Can you share a little amazing- bit about the kind of like what exactly Ana Ona does and like the kind of bras and, and intimates and garments and all things that you provide? Because it's, it's, it's such a specific niche and I, and I love it. Yeah, it was really interesting. I, so I had the bilateral mastectomy um, as a young woman. I underwent implant reconstruction and I found that my bras just no longer fit me. And it was yep. maybe just like a pivotal time, right? I was getting no, ready for thing. Yeah, yeah. You're like, gotta toss these all. Just like in the trash. Yeah. In the trash. Goodbye. <laughs> um, 
And, and I didn't necessarily mind it at the time. Cause I'm like, okay, whatever. It gives me an opportunity to like, you know, refill my bra drawer and like throw all the nasty ratty. Yeah. All the ones that I've like kept from high school that really should not be here still. Yep. <laughs> they shouldn't still be there. They shouldn't still be there. Isn't that like a lifeline um, for bras? Like, <laughs> didn't know that was a thing. Oh my God. So I felt like it was a moment for me to like throw, like throw away the old, bring in the new. Mm -hmm. I thought it was like a moment for me to like change my style and like try color Mm -hmm. and like flowers and like get get sassy with it. I love it. This chick I thought I wanted to be and (laughs) took it as an opportunity to like start over like from a self-expression standpoint and like made it my goal to like find a bra that fit me that didn't have underwire in it, didn't have the gappy molded cups yep. uh, fit me. Just all I wanted something to do was just fit. I actually like, I actually stopped thinking about it being pretty and just started mm. thinking about it to fit. And like, all I kept coming up with was a sports bra, sports bra, sports bra. Mm-hmm. And that just wasn't enough for me. I felt um, really ashamed about my new body. I hated you know, my reconstructed breasts, they weren't the pretty natural breasts I had before I lost them. Um, I didn't have any nipples. Like I just felt like really bad about myself. And then that led to like me not being able to be intimate because I couldn't take off my clothes because I didn't feel sexy anymore. Mm -hmm. And it was just like one thing led to another, which, um, first, first started out actually like the, the entry to Ana Ono was me getting my mastectomy tattoo. Mm. so in 2010 I went on the internet because of course they tell you you can tattoo on your nipples and I'm like well I don't want nipples tattooed that's ridiculous (laughs) why why would I want to tattoo on a nipple that doesn't work please help (laughs) and I'm I'm like this is just so strange like what world am I in what are we they doing to us why are we not talking about these things there's like I even remember seeing when I first started looking and I was like, what, is, what are my options? You know, I found like knit boobs that you could like purchase yeah. on Etsy. Have, have you seen these? Yeah. You guys, if I can find a link, I'll put this in the show notes. Cause just for your amusement, but they're basic. I'm sure women use them and love them. But like, I remember looking at this, these and being like, I'm sorry. So if I were to chop off my tits and not get implants or reconstruction, I would then put knit boobs onto my body as like almost like a scarf and that was like attached and like then they would just be chilling there I'm like I don't understand this like it just didn't compute to my brain I'm sure some people love them but like I just wasn't my jam (laughs) yeah and you know but that's you know it's like you have two options right you chop off your tits and you can live flat which I'm so unbelievably supportive to the women that are strong and empowered to do that Um, you know, there's a lot of women out there that, you know, want to feel and look like their old bodies Mm -hmm. underneath their clothing, which yeah, leads to like knitted boobs or like heavy weighted breast prosthesis. Mm -hmm. And like, I love that our world is like, oh, you need a weighted boob or else you're going to like develop back pain and scoliosis. And I'm like, who are you guys? Like (laughs) what is going on? But you know, the reality is, is that men generated this entire marketplace for us. So of yeah. course they wanted us to have boobs. Cause like, yeah. what's a woman without her boobs? Like question mark. Yeah. I think we're a lot of things. Cause I don't think we're about our breasts, but you know, we live, you know, in a very different world where, you know, we're, we're trying to fight through that stigma, but you know, in the, in the same regard, it was just like, yeah, kind of looking at your body in this way. And then, but now I had a right to reconstruct, which was only available 10 years before, like mm. to think that somebody diagnosed 15 or 20 years ago didn't before me didn't have a right to reconstruct. 
Can you share is, more about, do you know why that, why that was the case? Uh, well, insurance wouldn't cover it. Okay. Because insurance didn't deem you necessary yeah. to replace an amputated part of your body. Hey, 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 hey. But, you know, you can lose an arm or you can lose a leg and you can get a prosthetic for your body part. But, you know, these are just boobs. So yeah. why do we care? Right. For a woman to have this right. So right, if you right, were right. getting reconstruction, you were paying for it out of pocket at a plastic surgeon's office. And, and that um, shit so is, for the record, not cheap. Like, let me tell you, if you're not yeah. insured, that shit is, it is hundreds of thousands of dollars, y'all. Like, it is not, not fun. Yeah. Yeah. So 1999, they passed a law that women had the right to reconstruct. Mm. But even that, you know, like medicine takes a long time. So like yeah. not every doctor knew how to reconstruct at right. that point in time. Like they're getting trained, they're getting the information, but you had to really be in a big city to get access. Yeah. And so when I went through this whole space, I thought, oh, of course there's no bras for people with reconstruction because first of all, everybody that gets diagnosed with breast cancer is old, right? Mm-hmm. This is what I'm thinking in 2010. Everybody gets diagnosed with breast cancer is old. Like young women like myself don't get breast cancer. Yeah, so I thought like, the same thing. All Even these like ladies must not care. Later. Yeah. Yeah. About how they look or how they feel or what their bodies look like. This is what's going through my head. Like right. I think because I'm a young woman, I actually care about how I dress. I care about like intimacy and my sexuality with my partner. Like I care about these things. And I thought to myself, there must not be many people out there that care. And that's why there's no bras made for us. Mm. And that's what kind of drove me down the rabbit hole to say like, well, why, why can't women with breast reconstruction wear a pretty regular bra? In my mind, that was an underwire, molded cup, lacy, you know. Push up. Yeah. Victoria's Secret like bra. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like why can't I go to Victoria's Secret and shop anymore? Why am I that different? Yep. Everything about me is different now. I have no hair. I have no eyebrows. I have no tits. Like all these things are different about me now. Like now it's my bras too. Like Mm. it was just such a jarring moment when I realized that these things were all connected. And just as a designer, I think it was only natural of me to start trying to solve the problem. Like, because really designers solve problems. That's what we do. Like you have an issue or a fit doesn't work or a silhouette doesn't work. Like we go in there and we deconstruct and we reconstruct. That's what I did. I Mm. deconstructed a bra and I reconstructed it. So it fit me. Mm. And it was one of those things that like, again, I just thought it was me, but I talked to my plastic surgeon. I'm like, you know, like how many women undergo breast reconstruction a year and where are these women? And he's like, well, they're probably just wearing sports bras or wearing nothing at all because you don't really have to wear anything. Yeah. And I'm like, I get that. Like, I like a good, sad, sexy Saturday night out with no bra on. Oh, I'm yeah. Down. Here for I'm it. Yeah. Down. <laughs> like, I'm a feminist. I like to wear, like, rock a wife beater with no bra. Like, oh, I yeah. Loved it. So I thought it was sexy as fuck. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't do that when I went to work. Mm. You know, okay, everybody each their own. But, you know, if I'm going to wear, like, a low-cut blouse, which I was known for, like, and I was to bend over, not everybody in the boardroom needed to see my titties, 100%, you know? yeah. Especially so given, like, like, the dynamics of being a woman in the workplace at your level, too. 
Right. Yeah. And it was just like a bra makes me feel more comfortable. It made me feel secure. It gave something against my skin that felt soft and lovely. And yeah. I mean, let's not even talk about boob sweat because I hate boob sweat. So like, oh my <laughs> you're not wearing a bra. You got sweat dripping. Down your okay. Stomach. Is this a thing for you? Because I've been really like trying to figure this out, but I was in Europe uh, like not too long ago. And I mean, out longer in the heat than I had been, you know, here, like AC is my friend. But in Europe, like we were out walking for like, you know, eight, nine hours, like 24,000 steps. And I swear to God, like I, I used to sweat like pretty, like a, like a normal amount, Mm -hmm. the amount of like the river of sweat in my boobs. Like I was like, I don't know if it's just because like when you have foobs, you sweat more or like condensation because my boobs are like cold now which is right, weird right like fun fact y'all boobs get cold yeah. when they're when they're not cold. real um, but yeah. I was like maybe it's like condensation from like the cold because it almost felt like ice cubes like when I would walk around I was like oh I gotta cool off and I'll just feel, feel my tits but it's like the amount of sweat like is that a thing for you too like cause I was like blown away by that well, I, I, you know, I'm no scientist and I'm definitely no doctor, but like <laughs> if all, if everything's been removed, like, I don't know if we have sweat glands, like through that oh, part of our sure. skin. That makes so much sense. So I, I'm the same way I was like, well, and I've also, I like the second I got diagnosed, I switched over to organic deodorant as well. Oh yeah. 100%. So like my armpit sweat, my cleavage sweats and mm-hmm. my under boob sweat, but my boobs don't ever sweat. Yeah, it's like around it. It's everything around the boobs. Yes, but it's like more than ever. And you're like, what is happening, sir? Like, I have to carry like a little towel. Yeah, it's oh a thing. It's you're a welcome, thing. guys, for that visual. I hope you enjoyed every minute of it. Oh, yes, I know all of those things. But um, <laughs> yeah, so like that, I guess that that's, you know, that's what the reality was, was that, yeah, all of these things, like everything against us was saying, you know, if doctors are recommending like tank tops, sports bras, or nothing at all, mm-hmm. I was like, well, what about like the bra that makes you feel sexy? Yeah. So to backtrack just a little bit, I, I didn't find a bra in this year of research that I was doing. I didn't even know I was researching for my own business. I was just researching for my own body. Yeah. Right. And, and I never found anything. So instead of getting the nipple tattoos, I got a tree of life tattooed around my body in the shape with the line of a demi bra. Cause I thought mm-hmm. demi bras were the sexiest. Mm-hmm. So the lines like cut across my breasts, like a demi bra, because I thought, okay, if I can't wear a sexy bra, I need to have one on my body. Mm-hmm. So like there's a visual eye thing that something's happening there. And so mm-hmm. it started with the tattoo and I had such a liberating moment after I finished my mastectomy tattoo where I could actually look at myself again in the mirror, which had been mm. a year. like mm. didn't look at myself in the mirror. Wow. And I was just like, I could now at least see something back in the mirror that I wanted to see and not the scars, which is what I didn't want to see. And it felt empowering in that moment that I was getting my life back. Mm-hmm. I was I was reclaiming my own body in the ways that I knew was going to make me feel good. Yeah. And then it was from there, I thought, okay, well, here I am. I've like literally tattooed the shape of a bra on my body because I want it so bad. And like, how do I, how do I actually make this bra now? Like, what do I do? And that's really what started to happen. Like I started the line with like, five silhouettes, like all for like different needs of my underwear drawer. I needed like one that was like a front closure to be like comfortable during the expander phase and like post-op. Mm. Um, cause my re- reconstruction took about a year. So it was a long time I was dealing yeah. with that issue. 
And then um, I like did like a sexy. I, I said, oh, since it's only sports bras, it doesn't mean sports bras can't be sexy. Mm-hmm. So I made like two sexy sports bras, one that was just kind of soft and sporty and one that was like lacy and sexy. And then I had like the quintessential like date night bra. Yeah. Um, that was just really black and lacy and sexy. And then I kind of had like a casual lace bra that you could like wear to work. Mm. And that was my idea. I was like, these were the five things in my life that I felt like I was missing and I'm going to fill the void. Mm. And just, you know, one thing led to another. Unfortunately, none of those five silhouettes are still on the line. Although now <laughs> I'm getting my, my OGs, my OG customers. They're like, are, Come bring them back. <laughs> Where's the Kelly? Is it coming Aww. back? Where's the Jen? Is it coming That's back? So Where's Sandy? Is she coming back? And it's so funny because, you know, we as women, you find a bra you love, you just love the bra forever. Yeah, so so um, it, it's really kind of cool, though, to see that kind of circle of life through my business as well mm-hmm. come around because now my business is five years. Yeah. And so um, also great to know that my bras lasted people that long. I felt like that was really... <laughs> really incredible and like I also just have to say from a personal standpoint I mean I have I think four or five of your uh varying products but Mm -hmm. even like the there is a mastectomy robe with like drain pockets and like the front closure bras like you guys like there was just nothing available or like out there and I was freaking out I was like how can I keep myself feel semi-comfortable through like a recovery process. And, you know, I was really lucky that I didn't go through the expander phase. I was able to do DTI. So my, my timeline was shorter from a recovery standpoint, but still like there just aren't products available when you're navigating something like this. Um, and, and also like even beyond that, like I would even with, if I didn't have reconstruction, like your bathing suits, like they are slamming and like your bras, like I wear them all the time. Like I love them. They're super sexy. They're incredibly comfortable. Like fuck the underwires. Like they're, they're not comfortable anyways. Like, you know, um, so I feel like even for women who haven't undergone reconstruction, like they're also incredible products just in general. So, well, thank you for that awesome plug because you're right. It's a, it's interesting because I started the line because I myself had the need of a different kind of bra yeah. and that's what I designed, but it doesn't mean it's limited just for women with breast reconstruction. I mean, you know, I, our little slogan is like, you know, one breast, two breasts, new breasts or no breasts. Like we yeah. really have a, a product for you or a solution for you. And, and the reality is, it's like underwire bras are uncomfortable to begin with. So most women are uncomfortable in an underwire bra and we just want something a little bit more supportive than like the traditional or like the new trendy bralette, Um, you know, with the spider straps. I'm like, I don't know. I don't need to like pull myself through a web to like put my bra on in the morning. It's a little too much for me. Maybe I got old. I definitely got old, but at the same time, like, I'm like, I just want to put on a bra. Like, why is it so complicated? Um, and I think that that's like, you know, it's nice how like the trend, like as I started this in in all terms of bralette line, the trend Mm. also started to introduce itself to bralettes, like Mm. in the market. Um, I think that I carved out a a really special niche with like breast surgery and breast cancer rehabilitation and all of these things. But I mean, we get emails from women um, and men and non-binary with all sorts of different uh, challenges that they face. I mean, you know, we've dressed, I've dressed a 16 year old woman that, or young woman that is developing at two different rates. One side is an A cup, Mm. one side is a C cup. Um, People with lung cancer, open Mm. heart surgery, shoulder surgery, um, we've had a, a, a great support from the trans community, uh, 
calling us and emailing us how they live in the middle of North Dakota and don't feel comfortable going into Macy's because Mm -hmm. they're in the middle of transitioning and they might not feel like they totally look like the woman that they want to look like yet, but um, also don't feel comfortable like going into the ladies fitting room and the lingerie department. Yeah. Uh, You know, I mean, all of these are real, real things. And until our world is truly totally inclusive, which we're not there yet, we're, you know, so many people working on it, but we're not there yet. Like, there is kind of this disassociation to what a quintessential bra shop can mm. do for somebody and, and where people feel comfortable. So I feel like that's been something that we need to work on as a brand to say, we're here for you no matter what. Mm. And we're a supportive community and an honest community and a loving community and you're safe here. Mm. Um, and, you know, that's really what I hope to be able to achieve in the next few years. Yeah. Well, you are already doing that for the record. And it is so, I'm just so grateful to be in your world in a small way. And um, you've made such an impact within this community, but also like are making a huge impact just for getting the awareness out and advocating for this world. And I feel like I'm just really grateful that you exist and that you've taken, that you've taken your story and your experience and turned it into something so powerful and so impactful. Um, like I, my mission is to like make an impact in the world and partner with other women who are doing that too, because like our, your, what you said at the beginning, like it's just really resonated for me of like, if you aren't sharing your voice, like you're, you have to be a voice for the people who aren't able to, or aren't willing. And right. like, yeah, like there are just so many things that we need to be a voice for. And this is one that I obviously am deeply passionate about. Um, but also that I think all women should be deeply passionate about because this is about advocating for your health. This is about right. being aware of what exists in the world and something that so many women, I mean, one in eight women develop breast cancer in their lifetime. Like that statistic in and of itself is boggling, like mind boggling to me when I first like heard that. So it's like, you're, you know, like you're, 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 it's likely that somebody, you know, or you will be impacted by this. And so why not take action? Why not be a voice? And I just love that. And I love like all the, all the fashion shows you do and like the, the way that you're so like inclusive and diversity and just like, it is, you you embody so much about where this world I believe needs to go and so y'all need to go follow her like a the fuck zap and like if I know you when are you doing your fashion shows coming up are those happening soon yeah so we'll be making announcements soon um we're working with Metaviver uh and Project Cancer Land again this year we've raised over $250,000 for Metastatic oh my god yes yes um, it's amazing. Uh, we, you know, we know that as young patients that we have a very high, uh, risk and death rate, and it's important for me to help support, you know, finding new drugs as much as I can, mm. because if, or when that shoe drops for me, I hope there's options for me. Yeah. And I think that we have to, you know, metastatic breast cancer is scary and it's overwhelming, but all of the early stagers need to lend a voice to them because, Mm. um, these patients do die and, um, and then there's always new ones that are diagnosed and we have to be there to progress forward and keep the momentum moving forward. Cause just cause we're afraid is not good enough excuse to not get involved. It's not, it's not good enough. Mm. Um, 
And that's, that's really where, you know, we need the work. So we'll always be announcing um, our, our, our next show uh, here, hopefully soon. Um, and yeah, just still setting out to make a difference in whatever ways we can, right? It's a, it's a great opportunity to share a story with the world. And, um, you know, those brave patient models are who mm-hmm. delivers that message. Mm-hmm. I love it so much. I, I can't wait to be a part of it and share all the things and support you in whatever way I can. Um, before we get, um, finished up, I want to like switch gears for a second and do some fun, fast questions. You ready? Okay. okay. Oh my God. All right. Woo. I'm ready. Yeah. Change of the game. All right. <laughs> I'll start with an easy one. Are you a tea or a coffee person? Coffee. All day. How do you take your coffee? Uh, Cream in the beginning and eventually black. Ooh. All right. I like it. Changing it up. Okay. If you had to describe yourself using three adjectives, what would they be? Ooh. Um, Passionate. Lovable. Fierce. Mmm. Good ones. Okay. It's funny that you said passionate because my next question was, what's something you're deeply passionate about right now? Oh, I, well, I'm passionate about a lot of things, but um, I always joke that fashion is my passion (laughs) and it's the truth. It's I'm literally doing everything that I've ever dreamed of or Mm. wanted or loved to do. I mean, having my own company, having Ana Ono is just literally um, fills my heart with joy every single day. Mm. So I love that. I'm sure there's like all the like in-betweens of like, wow, owning your own business. (laughs) (laughs) I know that so deeply, but then you come at the end of the day, you like sit down, lay down in bed and you're like, oh, like I love what I do. And that's like the coolest feeling ever to feel like you arrived, you know, I love that. Okay. And then last question, what does it mean to you to live your fuck yes life? My fuck yes life is literally waking up every morning and saying, fuck yes, I'm Mm. here. And I'm going to do the damn thing today until the end of the day, until I crash and pass out so I can wake up tomorrow and do the same thing all over again. Mm. I love that. Ugh, you are such a fucking beautiful human gem, everything. For everyone who's listening, the podience, where can they connect with you online? I will put this on the show notes too, but just so that they have it here as well. Yeah, so uh, you can follow Ana Ono on about any platform with at Ana Ono Intimates. And then I'm on Instagram at Dana, D-A-Y-N-A Dono, D-O-N-O. And that's only because I can't hack back into my original that's, one. I was, well, was going to say, like, why are you under Dana as like with a Y? Because that's not how you spell your name. It's D-A-N-A, yeah. right? Okay, I was right. like so confused for a second. I was like, I'm pretty fucking sure it's Dana, D-A-N-A. <laughs> Like your well, Instagram. You know, Instagram, Instagram launched a long time ago. I got on Instagram a long time ago, somehow forgot my password. My oh email my address attached to my original one is now gone. Yeah, it doesn't exist. It's like your old it's hotmail that's like underscore and has like, you know, my my, my old email, y'all, is like really gross. It's like Lil, like little. <laughs> but yeah. Lil underscore Mandy, which I hate that name for the record. Ever call yeah. me Mandy and I will give you a death stare. And then underscore girl with a U. <laughs> it's so, it's so bad. <laughs> Did you have mine a bad, a really crappy email? Hot, mine was just old school Hotmail and my maiden name, which I would have totally kept, but I just didn't need a Hotmail address anymore. Old so school Hotmail. I love it. That's so funny. <laughs> At least it wasn't an AOL. It was not an AOL. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. So funny. You're amazing. Thank you so much for going there today and sharing I know like I know again like I said this can be really tough to to talk about but I I so deeply appreciate you just being a voice for this community and and also just being a light because it is so needed and um 
And I just deeply, deeply honor that and appreciate. So thank you for being here and thank you for doing the work that you do and being the person you are in this world because it is truly, truly, truly changing lives. Well, all of that love is back at you, sister. And mm. thank you for giving us a space to share our stories because you're a badass bitch yourself. So I appreciate <laughs> Badass it. bitches for life. <laughs> <laughs> and there you have it. Thank you, Dana, so much for coming on the podcast and sharing your story and your mission. And for everything that we talked about in today's episode, you can check it out at the show notes at amandacatherineloy.com forward slash podcast forward slash 71. Um, Or of course, in whatever Amazeballs app or Spotify or whatever that you're um, watching or listening on. Um, Watching? You guys, I wish you could watch me. That would be so fun. (laughs) Um, And as always, you guys can find me on the interwebs um, at amandacatherineloy.com. Catherine Loy on Instagram. Shout out this episode. Um, share it as part of breast cancer awareness and um, month and just really, really promoting the shit out of uh, this message. Get this into the hands of so many other women in your life, um, so many other humans in your life so that they can genuinely have a resource to be able to share with others. Um, that is how we grow. That is how we shine as a community. And I am so fucking grateful for you guys. Um, as always, if you love this episode, share it with a friend, share it with your mom, um, share it online and leave a rating and review. It really does help get us in front of new eyeballs and we are charting on iTunes y'all. So that is exciting AF. Um, and as always, I am in your corner and, um, I love you guys to the fucking moon. So until next week, I'll see you on the flip side. Bye-bye.